Great, great message. And that song, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Hosea. Hosea. If you are not familiar with your Bible, that is all right. You can uh, go to the table of contents in the beginning and you can look through the Old Testament books there and you will see Hosea should be after Daniel. And uh, I think it's after Daniel. Is that right? I think it's after Daniel. And uh, so you can open up your, or you can just open up your Bible to about the middle and you'll be in Psalms or Proverbs. You can just kind of keep turning right a little bit there. You'll come across Isaiah, Jeremiah. Ezekiel, Daniel, and there's Hosea. Hosea, chapter 6. Hosea, chapter 6. You can also uh, have your Bible on your phone. You can flip that uh, to, to Hosea 6. The verses will also be on the screen for you this morning. So, Or you can share off your neighbor. Whatever. Good to be here with you guys this morning. You guys sound good? Hosea chapter 6, starting in verses 1 through 3. This is what Hosea writes. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Beautiful passage. Beautiful passage there. You know, there are at least four events uh, that happen in a person's life that uh, people always say that once they happen, you will never be the same, right? That they will change you. The first of those events is graduation from either high school or college, right? You graduate uh, high school uh, or college, you are entering into the real world is what people say, right? I had a guy that I uh, used to mow his lawn for him in high school, and he used to always, Mr. Duncan was his name, he used to always tell me uh, that once you graduate high school, um, time is just going to fly by. And he was right, right? Anybody else? I mean, time is just absolutely, I feel like the last year or two years have just been like warp speed, you know? And uh, so, but he said time is going to fly by for that time. And how many people, um, there's, a, there's a hum back here, Arthur, I don't know if you, the bass amp? How do you, how do you? Time out. That's all right. That's, that was, yeah, that's warp speed. Awesome. I thought, at first I thought it was a plane or something. I was like, is there a plane out there or something? All right. Isn't it funny, though, that when, once you graduate, high, like, you can't wait to get out of high school, and then once you graduate, like, a few years pass by, and you're like, man, I would like to go back uh, to high school. It's a funny thing. The second event that usually happens uh, that, that, that people say will just absolutely change your, your, your life is, uh, is getting married, right? And this is huge because uh, when you get married, life no longer revolves around you. Right? When it was just you, it was just you, right? Life, life revolved around you, but now that you are married, uh, your decisions no longer just affect you. 
The third of these events that, that change your life is having children. Now, if you thought that life revolved around you before, once you have children, you really know that life no longer like, revolves around you at all, right? Because now you've got kids. Things change, don't they? When you have kids, life changes. It's never the same. Like, I, I don't even remember. I feel like uh, sometimes before kids, it was just a whole different lifetime. Like, I don't even remember uh, the days of being able to, like, sitting at home on the couch and looking at Robin and say, hey, let's just, let's just go out. Right? Those days, those days are over. You can't, you can't just, there's no, there's no more, hey, let's just go out because now you've got kids, right? You've got you to get a sitter together, uh, you know, taking trips. Those things change, right? When you take trips, you can just say, hey, let's just hop in the car, let's go to the beach. Now you've got to, like, pack up the whole house, right? You've got to pack up everything, uh, and it's just, you've got to stop for potty breaks, and it's just, it's just some, it's, things change, right? But the fourth of those events that, that absolutely is just most significant, probably the most significant, that, that, that people say your life will never be the same, that, 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 that changes the most, is giving our lives to Jesus. When we, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we accept this amazing gift, this amazing grace that we talked about last week uh, in our life, life will never be the same. Priorities change. Uh, things that used to be important are no longer important to us. Uh, and, and things that used to be significant to us are no longer as significant. There's change that happens. And that's the point. That's the point. Jesus doesn't just want to, to come into your life and to kind of rearrange things around. But, but Jesus wants to change us from the inside out as we just sang. Right, He wants to transform us into the people that he has called us to be. And that's the beautiful thing about the story of Hosea and Gomer, the story that we have been studying over the last few weeks, uh, this series that God is pursuing us, that God uh, is pursuing us. And that's really the message of the whole Bible. I mean, from beginning to end, uh, after Genesis chapter 2, after Adam and Eve fall and they sin against God, the rest of the Bible is really about how God is pursuing us. And we learned the very first week that because our sin separates us from God, that God still pursues us even in our mess. Right? That God desires to have a relationship with us. And then last week we learned that He is pursuing us in grace. And then finally today as we wrap this series up, we're going to see that, that God is pursuing us for change. Right? He is pursuing us for transformation. In other words, you've heard me say before, and this isn't new for, for me. This is, you know, other people have said this before. But it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. You ever heard that before? Right? We're all broken. We all make mistakes. We all sin. But the good news of the gospel is this, that we don't have to stay that way. We don't have to stay that way. Right? The gospel the gospel means good news. The gospel is good news because of what Jesus has done for us. And the good news of the gospel is, is we don't have to stay that way. And isn't that the point of nearly every story? Right? When you read a story, the main character, the protagonist in the story is always changed or transformed. Right? You've, you've seen the, the typical Hollywood movies where the protagonist is a jerk at the beginning of the movie, but by the end of the movie, they've changed. Right? They're, they're kind of nice at the end of the movie. Or at the beginning of the movie, they're, they're a coward, and at the, be, uh, at the end of the movie, they're, they're brave, and they're like taking on the world. See, if the character in the story doesn't change, then the story hasn't happened yet. 
And if our life is a story, then the point of our lives is character transformation. It's change. And that's what God's desire for us is, is to become the people that He created us to be. And I love what we just read in Hosea because the good news is, is that we're not alone in the process, right? God is there. He will see this process through. And so the question for us this morning then is how do we experience this change in our lives, right? We, 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 we know that God is pursuing us for a relationship. And so, okay, we, we, we get into this relationship. We surrender our lives and he pursues us in grace. But now how do we change? How do we go about becoming the people that God has called us to be? Right, what, what is it going to take to turn a, a person who is, is greedy into a person who is generous? What's it going to take to take a person who is filled with anger and rage into a, a person who is patient and loving? What is it going to take to turn a person who is filled with, with lust into a person who respects other people? Right, how, how do we do that? Well, how, how do we experience character change or transformation in our lives. And I think from our text, we see uh, two, two things, two, two experiences that really uh, change our lives. And so the first thing that we see here, if we want to experience change and transformation, is we see repentance in this text. Repentance. Now, for some of you, repentance may be uh, a new word. For some of you, man, you grew up in a church and repentance is like, oh, I know what repentance is. But, but, but what Hosea does here is he acknowledges that God has disciplined his people, right? He has disciplined his people for their sin against God, uh, how they've turned from God. Because he says, he says, for he has torn us, right? But, but we learned in week one of our series how God, his, he loves us and therefore he disciplines us, right? But we also learned how his discipline is always restorative, right? It's always meant to bring us back to him. It's always meant to bring us back. And Hosea recognizes that God is faithful and he will heal us. He will bind us up. Right? Again, this is the idea that God is not finished with us. He has torn us, but he will heal us. And when we talk about repentance, there's this great verse in the New Testament, book of Acts. And it's chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. I'll read it for you. You can write it down. You can look at it later. But this is what... This is what Luke writes in Acts. I think this is, this is perfect for what we're talking about this morning. He says, Repent, therefore, and turn back to the Lord, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing. That's what Hosea is talking about here. Right? God has torn us, but he will heal us. There's, 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 there's been a time of, of pain. There's been a time of, of, of down. But, 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 but as we repent, as we turn to the Lord, he's going to heal us. There's going to be a time of refreshing. So the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And so when we talk about repentance, what are we talking about, right? Well, is, is repentance just sitting over in the corner and, and crying a lot? Is repentance just regret for what I've done? Right? Some people may think that if I, just, if I feel sorry enough, if I get angry enough at my sin, then yes, then God is going to forgive me. But I want you to listen how the Apostle Paul describes repentance in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. And this is what he says. He says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. 
right? Because that's what the, the gospel is, is about. It's about a new life, right? It's, it's no regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. I see you have a godly grief and you have a worldly grief, right? So what's the difference, right? One, one produces change, the other one produces death. Well, the difference is, is worldly grief is a horizontal type of grief and it lacks any view of God. And if you have kids this morning, if you've had kids, then you have experienced this because oftentimes when kids get in trouble, uh, they are more sad that they got caught, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, they, they get busted. They're, like, they're not really sad for what they did. Like Jude hits his, my oldest son hits our middle son, you know, and it's happened just a couple weeks ago, right? He hit, and we, we, they were upstairs in their bedroom. Shepard was without a shirt, and we heard uh, on skin, right? <laughs> and then we hear Shepard go, you know, and we bring Jude down, and, and Jude is like, well, it was an accident. <laughs> okay, okay, right? They're, they're, they're more sad that they got caught than what they did, right? Because it's horizontal grief, right? It has nothing to do with God. There is no, listen, there is no spiritual acknowledgement that I have sinned against God. And so worldly grief, and this is very important for us to understand this this morning, worldly grief is purely emotional and not spiritual. All right, let me, let me give you another example, right? When I was in middle school, uh, I was 6th, uh, 7th, 8th grade, I can't remember which one, but one of my friends was having a birthday party, and he was having a bunch of us over for a sleepover. There was about 10 of us middle schoolers in this guy's parents' house, right? And so we got this bright idea that we were going to go out late at night. It may have even been early morning, like it may have been after midnight. I can't remember. But we got this bright idea that we were going to play this game, and you may have heard of it before, but it's called Ding Dong Ditch. You guys know what I'm talking about? Right? And so, so the object of the game is, is you go up to people's doorbell, and you ring it, ding dong, and then you head for the ditch, right? You run, right? And that's what you do. So we got this bright idea that we were going to do that. And so several houses in, all of a sudden, we saw Dublin PD pull into the, pull into the neighborhood with lights flashing. And no siren, just lights flashing. So imagine 10 middle schoolers. I mean, we were probably loud. We were probably so crazy. It wasn't funny. And so imagine 10 middle schoolers see these lights, and we just all take off in different directions, right? So you got to picture this, right? We are jumping over ditches, over fences, the grass had, like, it was wet, so it was dew. Like, I remember, I remember jumping across a ditch, and my feet went like this, right? I got caught. And so it was, like, me and, like, five other guys of my friends, like, all piled up in the back of this police car. Uh, and we get taken back to my friend's house, and we were terrified. Not terrified because we got caught, but we were terrified because, oh, my goodness, is this going to go on my record, you know? Or is this like, are, we gonna get, are our parents going to find out? And we were just absolutely, absolutely terrified. And in that moment, listen, in that moment, this is important, because in that moment, as we were being busted, as we were being caught, we went through this emotional roller coaster where we were like, man, I am never playing ding-dong ditch again, right? Right, you know how we say that, right? I'm never doing this again. Exactly. That lasted, that lasted about two weeks. That lasted about two weeks, and we were back at it. Why? And this is why. Listen, this is very important for us to understand this, because worldly grief is purely emotional and not spiritual. 
This is important, right? Because in the moment, in the moment, this is, this is you want to know why we struggle with those sins that we constantly go back to, right? Or why we just can't seem to kind of get over that hump. This is, this is why this is so important, because emotions are like roller coasters. And in the moment when we do something that we should not have done, and we know, like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I did that sin. You know, I lost my temper, and I flew off the handle with somebody, or, or I indulged, you know, and I went and I shopped, and I maxed out my credit card, you know. I, I can't believe I did that. That was silly. Or, you know, I looked at something I shouldn't have done. And, you know, we, we kind of go through all these things. And in the moment, what we do is we kind of beat ourselves up, don't we? Right, we beat ourselves up, and we make ourselves feel really bad, like, I can't believe I did that, you're so, you know, we just, all these things going on in our head. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about? I'm out. Okay, I'm just making sure we're on the same page here. Right, and so you do this, this is, listen, this is so important, and what do we say, right? Just like we said, I'll never do that again. We say, I'll never do that again. The problem with that is emotions settle down, Right? I mean, you know, it may last. You may be able to will yourself to not be able to do it again for a week, two weeks, maybe even three weeks. But, but, but that, that, that what you did three weeks ago, is you, it's going to be a distant memory. You're going to forget about that. And then what ends up happening is, is you end up going right back and doing it again. That is worldly grief. It has nothing to do with God so it has no spiritual roots. It's not grounded in anything. It's grounded in your emotions, which is like a roller coaster. It's not going to produce change. It's not going to transform you. Worldly grief is passive about sin. You know what I'm talking about that? Like in other words, it, we, we have this, this lack of seriousness about the danger of sin in our lives and the effect that it has on us. And so, so think about it this way, like I, I love to, I used to not be this way, but something changed in my life, I don't know what it was, but I used to hate yard work, but now I like enjoy yard work, and it may be because I just want to get out of the house. <laughs> the kids, not, not my wife, the kids, right? Um, uh, but, but I love working in the yard, and, and it's funny, I find it stress relieving, but what's funny is I'm always amazed at how fast weeds in the flower beds pop up, right? Don't you hate weeds? I despise weeds. And how do you kill a weed, right? You've got to pull it up by the root, right? Because if you don't, you're just picking off the top and the root is still there. And I think this is how we deal with sin in our life, right? We just kind of mow over the weeds, right? We don't take it very seriously. We just think, okay, well, I, I can, I, you know, I'm never going to do that again. I'll just, I'll, I'll be strong. I'll, 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 you know, just bear down and just try, not, try harder next time. And so we just kind of mow over, mow over the weeds. And we really don't address the heart. See, when you're just mowing over the weeds, you're just addressing the behavior. You may even try to put things in place to prevent you from doing it again. And all you're doing is you're just, you're just treating the symptom. You're not treating the issue. Because the issue is the heart. It's always the heart. We said this at the end of last week's sermon. It's always the heart. So what we've got to do is we've got to do the hard work of peeling back the layers and examining our heart and asking ourselves, why do I do this? What is it that I am looking for? What is it that I am, sir, what is it that I am missing? 
And we never get to the root of why we do things that we do. And so we don't experience change. We don't experience transformation. That's worldly grief. But godly grief is vertical. It gives us a clear vision of God and who he is. And we see this beautiful picture of King David. If you don't know who King David is, King David was in the Old Testament. He was before Hosea. He was the second king of Israel. And he is described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. So you have a man who is after God's own heart. And David did something that was terribly wrong. If you don't know the story, what David did is David has his men go out to fight a battle. And David stays at the king's palace. And as he's there, he looks down and he sees this beautiful woman. And he's like, man, I've, I need to have that beautiful woman. And so he brings her up. Her name is Bathsheba. Make a long story short, he ends up getting her pregnant. And she is married to a man named Uriah who is out fighting the battle. And so King David devises a plan. He says, you know what, I'll just bring Uriah home encouraged him to sleep with his wife, and this will all go away, right? The only problem is, is Uriah says, how can I go and sleep in my own bed when my men are out there fighting in the battle, and so I'm not going to do that. So David's like, well, snap. You know, what am I going to do, right? <laughs> and so, so, so he sends Uriah out, and he tells the guy, he says, hey, you put Uriah in the front lines, and, and that way he'll, he'll be killed. And so David not only committed adultery, but he had a man murdered. And yet, this is a man after God's own heart. Right? And I say that because you see the, the, God's grace all in this. It's an amazing story. And then listen to what David, once he, once he realizes what he has done, once it is brought to his attention, right? Once Nathan the prophet tells this parable, and, you know, King David's outraged, and he's like, yeah. And then he's like, you're the man. And, you know, David is like, <gasps> mortified. This is what he writes in Psalm 51. It's going to be on the screen for you. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And here, here's the line, right? For I know that my transgression, my sin is ever before me against you. That's vertical thinking right there. And only against you, you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. See, that's the point of godly grief. David looked beneath the surface and he saw the ugliness of his own dirty, sinful heart. He saw the ugliness of his own heart and yet he saw how God is infinitely holy and perfect. And he saw his true spiritual condition. He saw, Lord, have mercy on me. A sinner. Wash me. Cleanse me. That is godly, godly grief. Godly sorrow leads to a changed life, while worldly sorrow brings about death. Godly sorrow produces self-awareness and confidence in Christ, while worldly sorrow produces low self-esteem, right? We beat ourselves up all the time. I can't. But, but godly sorrow is like, man, I, I, I'm aware of, of my own, you know, I know that I've got this issue, I know my heart is dirty, I know, and you address the root issue, and then you have confidence in Christ because of what Christ has done for you. 
Godly sorrow is focused on God's kindness and His mercy and grace found in Jesus. It's gospel-centered. Worldly sorrow focuses on the thoughts and opinions of man. It's us-centered. Godly sorrow fixes our eyes on Jesus, who is the Savior and who leads us to a renewed life. It leads us, leads us to joy in times of refreshing. It leads us to, to loving obedience because it produces change. And this is what Hosea is saying. He says, the Lord has torn us so that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. And so when we feel the conviction of sin in our life, listen to me, it is not to shame us or to condemn us. But when you feel the, that conviction, when you feel that, man, I shouldn't be doing this, that is, that, is, uh, that is God's desire for you to change, to restore us, to transform us more into the image of Jesus. And so, so listen to me when I say this. Repentance isn't just turning from our sin, but it's also turning to Christ. It's, it's one fluid motion. It's not, it's not just turning from our sin, but it's, it's turning from our sin and turning to Christ. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says that it is God's kindness, it is His grace, it is God's pursuit of you that leads us to repentance. And so when we turn from our sinful behavior, we don't just turn to good behavior. Right? We, we, don't just, we don't say, oh, I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to try to, to do this better. Right? But rather, when we turn from our sinful behavior, we turn to Christ. And when we gaze upon Christ and we see what He has done for us, and we see how much it cost Him to die on the cross for our sins, like King David, then we are changed. Right? Oh my goodness, I have sinned against you and you only. How can I get to know you better? Yeah, that, that's the motivation. Our motivation isn't just, oh, I'm going to do better. Our motivation is more of Christ, more of Him. So we turn from trust in our idols, and we talked about idols last week, to trust in the one true God. And the more that we can grow in the gospel, the more we can think about His, the more we can think about his costly grace. Right? The more we see ourselves for who we are in light of who God is, the more we are going to change and transform. Amen? Right? So, so for the person who is greedy or stingy, the more you think about the generosity of God and what He has done for you through Jesus Christ, the more you, you gaze upon what Christ has done for you and how generous He's been for you, the more that is going to help you to become more generous. Right? You can't just become generous on you. You can't just say, well, I want to be, become a generous person. Right? Now, you, you look at Christ. You look at God and how generous he is towards you. For the person who loses their temper easily and flies off the handle, listen, the more you think about the patience of God towards you, the more you, the more you think about how Christ died on the cross for your sins and how he is patient with you and how every time... You know, every single day you fall short and yet God is pursuing after you and He is patient with you. When you begin to think about that, that begins to change you. And you, begin, you become a more patient and kind person towards others. So repentance isn't a one-time act. It's ongoing. It's every single day. 
This is why Hosea says in verse 3, he says, let us press on to know him. And the great news is, as Hosea says, that surely as the dawn comes or the spring rains fall, God will respond. Amen? He will bring us home. Another way that, that we see that God pursues us, and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of, I mean, we could just cover so many things here, but, but I wanted to kind of stick with this, this theme of Hosea and, and Gomer. Um, another way that he pursues us for change is he gives us a new identity. And we could have talked about this the last couple of weeks, but I wanted to save it for the end here because this is important. You know, each, each week we've said that Hosea and Gomer's marriage uh, in the first three chapters is, was a picture of God's marriage to his people, right? That's, how, that's, that's kind of a metaphor for, for our relationship with God. We are his bride. He is the bridegroom. And typically when a couple gets married, the woman will take the last name of the husband, right? So, so when, when Robin, we, we got married, she was a clerk, but she took the last name Hoback. And when we give our lives to Jesus, our identity changes, right? We are in Christ. And that's, that's huge. Do you know how huge that is? That we are in Christ. That we are His children. That we are His bride. That we are His... You know, this is, this is huge. And unfortunately, so many Christians, so many believers, so many followers struggle every day with remembering who we are in Christ and how to live out of this new identity. Because when you understand who you are in Christ, that's going to change how you live. Right? Identity always determines activity. Right? Identity always determines activity because oftentimes our identity is stolen by our shame. Right? We look at the past and we think, man, there's no way that God could forgive me. There's no way. We, we think about the memories, right? the voices, right? we always telling us that we're no good. Or we allow ourselves to, to be defined by uh, what we do. Right? We, our, our identity is wrapped up in our job or our work. Our identity gets wrapped up in performance, how we perform. And so we, we've got to perform for other people so that other people will have this high opinion of you so your identity gets wrapped up in that, or it gets wrapped up in material things, or, or we place our identity in possessions, or relationships, right, or appearances. So when that happens, what, is, is we stay confused about who we are because we use other, this is what's crazy to me, we use other sinful people as a point of reference to define who we are. Think about that. They're just as fallen and broken as you are, and yet we are using them as a point of reference to define who we are. And then we, we, we allow the culture to place labels on ourselves, right? We, we look in the mirror and we say, I'm too tall, I'm too short, too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm too ugly. And we let those things define us, and we carry those things around our neck. And the problem is, is that we're trying to find fulfillment in those things. Just, just like we talked last week, right? Well, Gomer, what was, the reason why she continued to run from Hosea is because she was trying to find something to fill her, to satisfy her in her other lovers. And remember how we ended last week? You know, a lot of commentators believe that, that, that when, when, when Hosea goes and he buys her back, he redeems her. 
and she goes home and she's experienced that, that grace and that mercy, that she was able to finally rest, find rest in her husband's love. See, I think that's, that's, that's the point, man, is that we're always, when we pursue these other things, we're always left feeling empty because God created us to reflect his glory. And apart from him, we will never find lasting fulfillment. The Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says that we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And I actually like the way the New Living Translation says this. It says, Be transformed into a new person by changing the way you think. Right? How do we change the way we think? I know I say this just about every single week, but it's by being in the Word, right? If we want to get to know Christ, we want to get to know God, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we, we get in His Word, we, we saturate our minds with the truth of God's word, word. It's filled with reminders of His unconditional love for us. It's filled with, with, with who we are in Christ, that we are a new creation. Philippians 1.6 says, Be confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what Hosea is saying. Exactly the same thing. And the beautiful thing is, it's not only that we are in Christ, right, that we're a new creation, but then He gives us His Holy Spirit that lives within us. And the more that we're in the Word of God, the more that we are turning to Christ and turning away from our sin, the more He is changing us into the image of His Son, Jesus Right? We'll be living out of this new identity. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So here's a challenge for us today as we close out. I'm going to ask the, the band to come on back up here. But here's a challenge as we close out today. Uh, listen, listen to me. God is pursuing you. And I know you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm, I'm already a believer in, in, in Christ. Listen to me. God is still pursuing you. Just because you surrender your life to Jesus doesn't mean that God stops this pursuit of you. He is still pursuing you because he is pursuing you for change. Right? He is pursuing you for change. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've never placed your trust and faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross for you, God is pursuing you for a relationship. And it doesn't matter what you've done, his grace is bigger than any sin that you have. He loves you, and you know that He loves you because He sent His Son to die for you. And so that, that's the first, if, you, if you're here and you don't know Christ, I want to invite you to come up and let's, let's talk about that. If you're here and you're already a Christian, I want you to know that God is still pursuing you for change. And so you need to ask the tough questions, man. What, what do I need to repent of? What, what in my life am I not peeling back the layers? What, what in my heart do I need to you know, look inside and, and see? Dying to repent of. And then finally, just what's your identity wrapped up in? Is your identity wrapped up in something other than Christ? And I just want to challenge you to think about that as we wrap this up today. Because if you want to experience change, if you want to grow in your love and affection for Jesus, these, these are two important things right here. Repentance and identity. 
And we want to we help you with that. That's our purpose, right? We want to make much of Jesus, reach, disciple, and equip. We want to help you. I'm going to invite the prayer team. The prayer team is going to be up front. There will be somebody in the back as well. If you just need encouragement, you need somebody to pray with you, you're struggling, please, please let us do that for you today. Let's do that. Let's stand together and let's sing this song. Come on.